Tig leader. Ted Roosevelt did just say, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how strong man stumbles, but where the doer of deeds could have done them better. Okay, he also says, If he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Obviously, you have uh, born the leader-kicking brand um, into something that's kind of really tangible, something that's all over social media. Um, we're here on Enter the Arena podcast, an LK podcast, and we're talking to you today. But one of the few things we've seen, like the exact same theme throughout all our athletes so far, um, delving into their mind, is that they've seen you and they've seen you in social media and they've seen LK or they've come across it somehow um, growing the brand. Um, so you hear kind of a quote like that and you are who you are. We, I think we all know that you have kind of gotten these guys into this arena. You've gotten them as far as they can go to to this point. Um, how does it feel like, just from that perspective, before we talk about you, how does it feel like to be tag leader of leader kicking literally I don't even like to say opening a door, but you've kind of built the door, you've built a portal where previously there was nothing available to these Irish athletes to get them to the NFL. Uh, well said, I guess, yeah. Like that was, um, oh, I guess to be honest, just listen to you there, through this process, there hasn't been a whole lot of pause and reflection because it's been bloody moving fast and it's been going for me well, but it's been kind of, it's been go, 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 go all the time um, which has been really enjoyable really challenging along the way but for me I guess once I discovered the sport of American football I knew I was passionate about kicking knew that whether it was get a football rugby or American football didn't doubt that um, but I was retiring from my own career my second career in American football and I guess I was looking for a bit of purpose to what I'm going to do with the rest of my life and said, you know what, I'm, I care about this. I feel like I have a good skill set to do this. So we started. Um, and now to be where it's at a year and a half in, you know, with the lad, previous guests, all Division one college players getting an NFL opportunity. Yeah, like, my, like truly re- trying to reflect is a bit mind-blowing, but also you just want it to be the norm and keep going. So like, I don't know. I, I think I'll reflect more deeply on it. Oh, geez, I don't know when I should do that. <laughs> well, well we're, we're right in the cusp here of yeah. the NFL Combine, one of the biggest sporting events yeah. on the planet, okay? It's held in Indianapolis every year. Everyone knows exactly what it is. Some of the best athletes in the world are there all the time. The chances, the odds of you getting invited or making it or even getting to the draft or even getting drafted are minuscule. Mm-hmm. You have sometimes, a, 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 you've made a program where there's three Irish guys going there to compete and they're already, well, there's four Irish guys, oh, yeah. there's three GA players, my apologies, already going there to compete at the absolute highest level and they're already elite athletes. Like, I guess, why is it taking this long for something like this to happen? Like, As we know, the kicking talents here, like we, I say to people, it's part of our DNA, it's part of our heritage. We kick a ball off the ground through uprights and get a football and rugby. We do something similar. Obviously, punting, we drop it out of our hand and get a football and rugby. So, the talent has always been here, just no one no one is, I guess, to my knowledge, kind of connected all the dots, created a, a program with clear direction as to how how this works. Because this pathway, as you know, is bloody confusing. It's very traditional, traditional meaning, obviously, more so from the American side of things, college, blah, blah, blah. Um, Baffling, confusing, and powerful, like like yeah, the AA powerful. say. <laughs> yeah, well, man, it's, it's been... But I guess for me, it's just been trying to 
take all my learnings and there's a lot and a lot of them bloody tough bloody learnings but I went through them figured them out and how to like you know better prop it up for, for this bunch of lads and thankfully I've kind of built the structure but they've you know they've been the quality you know, that's made it work um, so yeah it's been it's been class it's been um, pinch yourself moments a lot of pinch yourself moments especially yeah with the you know the lads getting the chance with the NFL program or even watching you know we were chatting to Ross in the previous episode like Getting to see him play Division One college football, his opening game in San Diego. Yeah, like I, I guess once or twice I stopped and kind of pinched myself and was like, Jesus, this actually worked. And I mean, that's not just so we were even kind of veering off just the International Pathway Program yeah, and yeah. getting these guys into Indianapolis. You're also getting you know, arguably more, depending on how you look at it, arguably more of a benefit is getting young kids, young Irish athletes who are like super talented, mm. literally like an educational opportunity yeah. for a chance for... Uh, a college education that's worth six figures mm-hmm. in the US we're talking like all board paid for all food paid for all education paid for on top of like you know kind of like spending money slash allowances um, that term that they use for that um, and on top of that playing in stadiums like as we talked to Ross you know 30,000 people 40,000 people 50,000 people in some of these stadiums yeah. um, and beyond so like that that's put you in the spot, but what like that was the goal from the that team. was the goal. Yeah, so I guess if I'm deviating a bit, but that was the goal. That was the goal of leader kicking was I saw the power of what a scholarship in America is for someone's like life, you know, nothing to do with professional sports. Just like how impactful that can be, how you can get like, you know, these top class educations through just banging a ball down the pitch or lobbing it through the upright. Something we just do casually for the crack in Ireland. So it's like, well, if we can bring all this together. How bloody impactful would that be? And how class would it be, you know, for all the perks you just talked about, the experiences you get? So that was the goal. Um, never did I think, or what, you know, we're talking about a second ago, about the NFL and the IPP stuff and boys going to the combine. Did I think that we'd be doing that? Oof, maybe in like 10 years, hopefully. Truly, did that was not really on the, the radar in the first five years, at least. Um, but Thankfully, on the back of the success and growth of year one, um, these other unbelievable doors have opened up. So, like, yeah, it, it's it's kind of morphed into something pretty, pretty big, pretty fast. Um, and like, long may that continue, really. I mean, you just said it there that like Irish people are kind of maybe perfect for this type of sport, and I like I I couldn't agree with you anymore because we have got thousands and thousands of reps. And I remember talking about this previously. Uh, on a podcast like years ago and I kind of began my own pursuit into professional football deviating from from rugby and some other sports that I played um, we we are natural leg athletes we get loads of reps in our legs and you know the old like 10,000 hours of practice mm-hmm. that old quote that this makes it perfect um, kind of seems to ring true like perfectly for an Irish athlete especially like whatever about any other sports um, and I know you know one of your things that you've found is that amongst the two sports like football and uh, American football and Gaelic football are the only two sports in the world where you kick a ball from the ground up in between posts um, so uh, is that something that you kind of found that like you know why aren't Irish athletes kind of being found this way because they are like perfectly set up for it I mean the, uh, maybe two weeks ago I was at a podcast launch um, about Neil O'Donoghue the last Irish man to play in the NFL in the 70s, I mean, into the 80s. And what was his story? An Irish lad that played Gaelic football and soccer, went on a soccer scholarship to America, discovered kicking American football, ended up going to a huge college, playing his first game in front of 80 odd thousand, yeah. goes on to have like a 10 year NFL career. And I was like, listen to this podcast, and was like, 
how didn't anyone kind of around these junctures of this journey and be like, ah, this makes sense. Maybe, you know, we should do more of this. But obviously it just didn't happen for whatever reason. No one kind of went about it, but like it's always been there. It's always been there. I and guess. then, and then, I guess, kind of your your own background. Then, like, like, let alone Neil O'Donoghue, but your own background is kind of heavily laden with 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 kicking. Yeah. Uh, you came up in a in a rugby background, so um, I know you kind of played with Connacht. So, do you want to kind of start from there and see where that kind of bug began in your own journey? The bug began with Santa Claus. Literally, the bug began with Santa Claus reaching out to Santa, asking for a new pair of prez and a kicking tee. Christmas Day, I've um, parents, two brothers. Christmas Day, we went up to Galwegian's Rugby Club and we just go kicking for an hour or two. Like that's just kicking, just kicking a ball off the tee over the bar. That's what we did. As and then that was a that was a Christmas tradition for many years. We got to like fourteen or fifteen. Eventually, found out the truth about Santa, but we got to fourteen or fifteen. And I remember, like my dad putting fifty quid on a bet with me, basically saying, "I bet you can bang it over from the halfway line," and just ripped it over and like. Loved it. It was just like crack. And obviously, when you're good at it, you enjoy something, you invest more time into it. Did you get the 50 euro? I actually don't know if he actually paid me, to be honest. He's a bit tight. No. Uh, Yeah, exactly. No. Uh, But yeah, that's like, it was always there. Fortunately, as I said, two brothers, a bit of space at the house, grew up. Gaelic football was actually my preferred sport up until kind of rugby. Around 16, 15, 16 is when the Connacht Academy rugby stuff started. So that's when I kind of went down that route. But just loved kicking my mates go kicking for the crack or the soccer or whatever so like I always had a good boot um, and then rugby just became the pathway for me to kind of pursue it for an option to obviously make a career out of it so yeah like it's 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 truly been like a joy for me all my life I just wish I discovered American football earlier to be honest yeah so you're so you're involved in Connacht Rugby you get involved in the academy and is your brother in the academy as well at this point yeah Dara is a year and a year and a bit younger than me. So no, he was always Dara was a bit of a late bloomer, but he probably didn't get in. Like we both left school the same year and I would have signed for the academy uh then, but he would have been a year or two after me, even though we we're the kind of same age. He was a late bloomer. Even he went on to do great things, but um and what yeah. what a year are we talking about roughly here? Ooh, twenty twelve. Because in twenty twelve you're involved in Connacht rugby, everything is going relatively well for Tig Leader. Um, so what happens after that then? Um, so I think I had three years there, um, loving my first two years, playing mostly with... And now you're living in Galway as well. Living, so, in, so I'm living at home now, yeah, yeah. Not, not exactly like you're very far away from the was. hub of uh, Connacht Rugby. How far away? Literally five minutes down the road, so it's sound. Um, and you're not being paid a whole lot when you're in the academy, so living at home is grand. But uh, yeah, I did that. And then for, for those two years, bloody loved it. And like, you know, it was tracking well, developing, really happy. Um, at the end of my second year, got a really bad ankle injury, and then got a really bad shoulder injury, um, which reconstruction surgery, things like that. Um, so that was kind of the, the, my last year there, and it wasn't to be honest, I hate it. I've said this publicly multiple times now. I despise it too strong, but I did not enjoy the sport. I grew up dreaming of playing sport professionally. Last year, hated it. Um, really fell out of love with rugby, and you know, I thought you know I was kind of done for good. Was that mainly because of the pain, the pains you were kind of going through? Or was it just kind of the frustration of trying to get over these injuries? Or was it competition? Like what, uh, what was, was kind of driving it to just like kind of be run out of the sport, you know? It was my performance or, or ankle was, was end of year two through the summer. A new, co- a new head coach came for the first team. Um, I remember trying to be available for training because going into my last year of contract, ankle unfortunately still follows me to this day. 
Um, never really kind of healed, but it was got some cortisone injections. So I'm trying to mask it. Um, 2013, maybe now, roughly. Uh, I got some cortisone to mask that. So you get through preseason, but it was sore. It was sore. Um, and then not long after that, so I was managing, but like it was, it was, it was tough. Um, say for example, if I had signed a three-year contract, I would have definitely been much more upfront and say, "Hey, this needs to be properly fixed." Like, yeah, I'm, I'm in trouble here. But because so you felt the pressure to actually not kind of, kind of play down your injury so that you could hopefully play up, yeah, and yeah, then get 100%. a longer contract. Yeah, yeah, or just like secure the, the, the next gig, the next contract. Um, and you're up against like stiff competition at this point. I think uh, Jack Carty's involved in the lineup. It was Robbie Henshaw was there. There, yeah, there are two guys very they're close. Books, isn't it? It's also like. You know, look, they, yeah, then both of them have gone on to have phenomenal careers. Um, but yeah, they were like kind of young lads and there's obviously just layers within that, like more seniority guys as well. So there's there's like a, yeah, it's a hierarchy, I suppose, right? Um, but that was that. And then I remember my shoulder injury came out for the first time, felt really, I remember laying on the ground in the grass, looking up being like, damn, something's wrong here. It turned out it was totally out of joint. Um, and didn't get it operated on <laughs> Did rehab for like three months with my physio, misdiagnosed clearly. Did it three months of physio and then I tried to come back. And this point now I was into my last six months of my contract. So I was trying to play and like I was useless. I was like just. just and are you still playing uh, out half at this point? I don't know where I've done 10, 12. Out half or 12. You're playing both. But yeah, 10, 10, 12. Um, so obviously getting a lot of contact as well. Yeah, but I was just fearful. I was just fearful. A, I couldn't move particularly well, but I was fearful of contact which rugby isn't the best sport to be playing. And my performances were just, and like just things that I was naturally really good at, like kicking, even like that diminished. And it was just re- it really just was sick of it. I remember sometimes like just trying to, just trying to find a way to get even get out of training at the end. Like, was that bad? I was like, I just didn't want to train, um, didn't want to be there. And I just kind of wanted to escape. Because keep in mind, we started when we were 15, they brought in eight of us full-time training all summers, not just like, you know, guys train maybe two times a week. We were in there Monday through Friday, you know, 8, 9 a.m. first report till 3 p.m., 15. Well, so I remember being like 21, 2. I was like, God, I just ready to get the hell out of there. I just, you know, I was just sick of it. Just overload from a young age, you think? Look, at the time, I loved it. At the, t- at the time, absolutely thought this was class. And um, that's when I kind of stopped playing Gaelic football, actually, uh, and hurling. Um, but it was... In hindsight, yes. When I got to like 21, 22, then I was like, oh, I've been here for bloody ages. I just kind of wanted to, to do something new. And also, as I said, I wasn't performing well enough. I would have, like, you know, I, w- I didn't warrant still being there at that point. Also, didn't really want to be, I didn't want to be there. There's also all the performance stuff. So that was kind of, that was when I left there and I went to Boston, first time just amateur rugby. That was like the biggest release. Um, and I just went there, just, there was a chance to, just play for the crack. My body still wasn't great, but I just wanted out. The officer would pay your flights and give you a couple of quid. And I was like, yeah, gone. And I remember my coach who'd been with me all the time and Connor, he knew I wasn't myself. He knew I wasn't happy. And he was like, look, we'll support you wherever we can. And that ended up being my first venture to America, pre-Italy, before venture number two. Right. Okay. So um, your first taste of America. Now, I don't think you knew at that point how much back and forth you would actually be <laughs> to the America um, as you know you've probably heard about previously with the, the adventures of Ross and Delta you know uh-huh. or Ross and Lee um, kind of going back and forth but let's talk a little bit about what what kind of happened then because I think your journey kind of through it uh, also relates to like a lot of the perseverance you see from some of the athletes on the arena so you're kind of in a bit of a bad nick maybe you're kind of recovering maybe you're kind of licking your wounds from Connacht 
and a call comes from Italy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I remember shouting to one of the lads. Oh, so I hadn't been, I had properly been to college because I was like, sure, I'm just going to play rugby and this is my career. You know, just immature, didn't focus on college at all. So I hadn't been to university. It's like, I loved America. So I so said, I go to college in the US. Um, and then my agent called me and said, there's a gig in Italy. Do you fancy it? Keep in mind, my shoulder was still goosed. But I was kind of like, sounds half decent. I was always keen to travel and move. I was always keen to go try things. Um, so I said yes to that. Went to Italy, went out to outside Venice. Um, but like, I remember. And you kind of by yourself? Is the only art oh, that, player down there? Yeah. That was, uh, I remember going over there. Yeah, by myself, I remember going over there on the first night, you know, getting picked up by my agent. The agent on the Italian side kind of dropped me off at my house, which is like some sort of farmhouse in rural Italy. Um, I remember just sitting down to eat like just dry rice and like kind of pretty dry leaves. And it was just like, oh, what the hell? Like, don't curse, but I was not. It just kind of, the reality dawned on me. I was like, ah, this is different. Um, and obviously I didn't speak any Italian. That's not surprising, is it? Uh, so that was my kind of first time that I've really been thrown out of my comfort zone and not really knowing what the crack was. Um, for In a good way or? Um, or you just kind of feel sorry for yourself at this point? And that first night, to be honest, I was thinking, Jesus, this this might not, this might literally the first night, this might not be a good good shout here. Like you probably should have maybe just taken care of your body and gone to college and forgot about sports. But then you kind of, I don't know, day two you wake up, we had a swimming pool at the house, uh, had a little, little tiny little car here. I remember like driving around and I was like, ah, this could be grand. We'll see where this takes me. Um, so eventually then just like you kind of like you made your bed, like get on with it, maybe 22, 23-ish. So get on with it. And that was my first kind of real ind- sense of independence and like figure it out, like go figure it out. Um, tried to, but unfortunately I remember doing like rehab in the gym for my shoulder and it just slipped out. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was just in the corner. It just like collapsed over and I was up way forward. I eventually learned how to put it in myself. Got this bad that I remember I had to go to the physio. At the time, kinesio tape was used. It still been used, but at the time, everyone has had them and it also just look cool and people's hamstrings and stuff. I remember my physio had Yeah, like it's not very that. supportive, just so no. we can put that out there. Like, yeah. There's a, there's a not, myth there kind of going around in this. for a while that kinesiology tape was actually like quite good at supporting joints, which it definitely is not. I had to get mine done before going to bed. I used to chat to the physio. It was a lad I knew and he would literally strap it um, for me you know, that evening and then, or just to put the tape on and then I go to bed. Unfortunately, it literally came out of my sleep a few times, which is not good. Anyway, long story short, bad investment for the Italian team because I was pretty poor. Because <laughs> again, rugby is not a good sport to play when you're afraid to be touched. So No, okay. So at some point, I'm really hoping you've fixed your shoulder and fixed your ankle before your next venture. I did. So what I- happens after Italy? So Italy didn't really work out. Um, I know they asked you to kick, pass, relax, maybe <laughs> avoid contact a little bit. That yeah, didn't that really cool. work. Um, so you go back, try and fix your shoulder. Is that right? Get it reconstructed finally, yeah. So you go to surgery in Ireland. Go to surgery in Ireland. So back home in Galway. Yeah. Was there a bit of like Philadelphia, here I come, back where I started from, you know, back to exactly where, back to point A, what a waste of time in Italy. No, because at that point I was like, Ty, you need to go to college and move on from sports. Okay. Uh, so I was ready for that. I was ready for that. And I hadn't had the crack really in college when I'd been in college. Um, so I had a chance to go to the university in the US. Um, sports management degree was into that. Didn't really, academically, I wasn't that inclined. Kind of a bachelor type of thing or diploma? Or? Bachelor, yeah, a four-year degree. Four-year degree. So uh, it was a rugby. It was, so I was done professional sports, but 
the scholarship I had to play rugby when, you know, when I was recouped, recovered and good to go. So I got a scholarship, went out there, um, more drama continued, played like two games for them. And then I was deemed ineligible. It was because of my sporting background professionally previously. You kind of play collegiate sports if you played pro sports. So I ended up then, you know, being told, okay, you're here in a full scholarship, you're here in a scholarship to play rugby but I was deemed ineligible. So then I was a bit of a nervous moment that I was going to be turfed out because they pulled their scholarship. But fortunately, because rugby isn't an NCAA sport like American football, my scholarship was for rugby, but it was worded as academic. Oh, wow. Yeah, (laughs) so I was saving grace there. So thankfully the academic standards weren't through the roof. So I was able to maintain that. So I ended up getting to keep my scholarship for the whole time. But the silver lining of all that is that's when I discovered coaching and I discovered, you know what, I'm actually half decent at getting a message across and like helping improve players. So that's when the seed was planted from a coaching perspective. When I got to coach a team, good fun. We won a national championship. They'd never done that. So that was... Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Um, that was good crack as And well. what school was that? That was at Lindenwood University. And I was also coaching a club in St. Louis as well. Um, so that was... St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis, yeah, random old spot. But. And probably your first introduction as well, or like first good proper look, imagine at American football. no. Or anything like no, that? No, no, no. Didn't, what didn't, did there? Did right in front of me. Didn't look at it, especially when I lost the Scottish or lost the rugby. Like, why didn't I do? I would have wished I put two and two together there and then and said, yeah. "Just start kicking American football." I even went down to the pitch one day and kicked a few for the crack and was kicking back like fifty yards and just left and never did it again. <laughs> what was I thinking? Uh, it wasn't obviously. So that was it. That is, I don't know that many regrets, but it would have made that would have been a sensible move back then. But I didn't do it, so I didn't really. American football didn't come up to COVID. Yeah, and so um, like five years later, not yeah, not to accelerate through that because yeah. these five years yeah are very interesting <laughs> in 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 my mind. Nothing around um, from what I've heard. Yeah, so professional rugby comes to the US kind of in a in a proper light finally yeah. in the form of the MLR. Somehow, Tiger, and it's it's interesting. You know, we talked to Ross and we talk about his magical moment being in San Diego for his first game. You're there, Lee's there. You know, it's like, I've made it. And what was your first team in the MLR? San Diego, but it almost wasn't because I told you I was sick. I, was, thought I was, wasn't enjoying rugby, you know, like at a professional yeah. level. So, so how do we bridge this gap here where you're just, you know, you've been sick and tired of rugby, but somehow you can't slip it. You're trying desperately to not play the thing. Yeah. Yet you get deemed ineligible, <laughs> but still you're hanging on. Short answer is one or two teams reached out to me to play in that league. I remember New Orleans are really pushing me to sign for them. And I was just like, no, no. And they're put like, putting together a good good package for me. And then I was like, you know what? No, I'm not getting back into this. So I was like, I'm done with this. And then San Diego called. I thought to myself, if I'm going to hate life, I'd be, be a bit soft about it. San Diego's not a bad place to do it. So I said, I'll give it sure. one last crack. Truly, that truly that was part of my thing. I was like, you know what? I'll give, I'm gonna, I'll give it one last crack. Worst case scenario, I get to live in San Diego and, you know, do that for a season. So that's honestly, that was my decision-making process. Okay. So how, so how did they go then? And like, I know you kind of, you were captain of the team uh, at one point. I mean, it's the first team, first rugby team, professional rugby team that's been in San Diego as well, right? Yeah. It was well done, honestly, because it was all privately owned. So they all came from lads with big funding. So they actually pumped good resources into it. So it was a, for me, the facilities, we used to train a place called Exos, Exos. Yep. where all of the NFL free agent players preparing for the combine in Indianapolis randomly and I never thought of that. Again, I used to train there. Again, you're more like football keeps them being thrown at you <laughs> and, and you continue to go play rugby. Yeah. You kind of like, you know, hate but don't hate. 
yeah, I didn't love it, but the opportunity, man. So I just, and also I was just, so I, yeah, I ended up doing that in San Diego. Had a great time. Um, did I have a great time? I, did, I enjoyed it. Didn't necessarily love all the rugby again, um, but it was going well. I, I didn't fall in love with it again. Didn't fall in love with the book. You did have, more you did have I to did play that. against Bastro though. Okay, <laughs> yeah, so bad. can't be fun getting run over by him. Yeah. That's yeah, part of the job, I suppose. Just in head and spokes. And so then I guess maybe heading back towards something a bit more Irish, more of your legacy, you find yourself in Boston with the Free Jacks. So how did that kind of come about? And how did you enjoy your time over there? Like obviously you probably felt like you're a little bit closer to home. I think there was kind of more opportunities there for you outside of rugby as well. Um, and you had some coaching opportunities there. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly why I chose Boston. Well, the biggest reason I chose Boston was I was told, I thought I was going to make the 2019 World Cup because I was going to become eligible to play for America. Um, and he still don't like rugby at this point <laughs> and I tried to get out of it, but I kicked him being offered more and more jobs, uh, including an international cap. Yeah, so World Rugby were going to deem me ineligible to represent in the 2019 World Cup. So I said, you know, if I'm not going to make that World Cup, I'm going to go to Boston, be closer to home, get to coach, which I really, I loved coaching. I, I didn't love rugby, but love coaching rugby. Um, I knew that. So wasn't eligible. So I said, you know what? Okay, I'm going to start afresh here. Go go to Boston and be part of like the, the pioneering element of pioneering part of that. Um, went over there, loved it. And then pretty quickly I became eligible to represent America, which then was a bit of a weird one because I now joined a team that wasn't playing any games. So <laughs> we only had four preseason games. And that was it. So this is a brand new team. Brand new team. Boston Free Jacks. Boston, yeah, New England Free Jacks. New England Free Jacks, uh, gotcha. So I joined them. Uh, you know, I, I was captain there, fly half, so I got to have a lot of influence. I just done a sports management degree. At, at this point, I was graduated, so I got to have a uh, say in kind of off-the-field operations. I got to see how, like, the business of sport worked, especially the sponsorship, and obviously that's an area I ended up getting back into with this. Um, but yeah, doing that, uh, loving coaching, playing's all right, and then... Caps, they then become eligible to play for America. I was sitting in sitting in a class in St. Louis, Missouri. The USA team had just played Georgia. They were ranked twelfth in the world at the time. About to go play Ireland, and my coach, the backs coach, called me. He's like, "How far are you from the airport?" And I was, I mean, whatever, an hour. And he's like, well, "We're going to fly into Dublin tonight." And I was like, "What's the crack?" And he's like, "Well, where rugby's based in Dublin, so if we get you into Dublin, we get your paperwork done to become eligible." So my first time with the USA team was when the lads played Ireland. So I remember driving to the Aviva like on the bus with the USA blazer on and for the anthem and stuff like that. And I knew some of the lads in the Irish team and they didn't, no one knew what was coming. I didn't know what was coming two days before that. And all of a sudden I was walking around the pitch with the USA blazer on and I was kind of like... Did dad. they know you were there? When you saw me on the pitch, they did. But like no one knew. I just, it was random. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, yeah. What a moment. And so did you, you didn't end up playing that game though? No, I wasn't you eligible. To, you had to be eligible, so you got the paperwork got done. Got the paperwork done. And so did you end up getting a few caps for the Eagles, the USA Eagles? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. It was, yeah, first tour was down around South America, um, like Chile, Uruguay. So we just beaten Scotland and then I got, I became eligible after that. So they're ranked 12th in the world. They're an all-time high for the USA. I've beaten Scotland. They're good, like Finn Russell, Stuart Hogg with the lads. All playing. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the, we're a good team. Um... Got some caps there. And you're playing 10, 12, full back? Yeah, well, I was coming off the bench at 10 because the guy, AJ McGinty, who's honestly like a cloud, he plays for Bristol at the minute, I was in sale. Another Irish guy. Another Irish guy, we're everywhere. Uh, he's uh, nowhere near his level. But anyway, um, yeah, got some caps, come off the bench, got to score a try, one of my first touches. 
banged over the sideline conversion, was on, was on the pitch, whatever, like three minutes, seven points. And I was like, not a bad gig. I <laughs> wasn't loving it, actually, though. Hey, this yeah. rugby thing, actually, I'm actually all right at it. Uh, Despite yeah. me trying to run away from it as much as I can, I just scored uh, like seven points. Yeah. Um, an international game but yeah anyway, that must have been a massively proud moment obviously playing international rugby coming from a kid who's went to uh, an academy at 15 and kind of went through all these struggles you know eating dry rice and dry leaves for some reason <laughs> outside there. a farmhouse in Italy yeah. to going to play uh, you know international rugby with the 12th best team in the world yeah. more random than Anton real, real, real random obviously I didn't grow up looking to play for America but um, re- cool that I have it on my CV um, but that tour is like it was in the Six Nations window or equivalent to Six Nations. Yep. Um, so we played after the last game on tour for like six weeks because America, you know, you don't go home at the end of the tour or between games because it's America, it's huge. Uh, so at the end of those six weeks, that six week um, tour, just or seven weeks probably because it'll buy a week. To be honest, it was a bit just kind of like I wasn't loving it, loving it. Um, at that point, it was a job. You obviously get an extra payment because you're playing for the national team you're getting match bonuses win fees blah 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 so it was doing that for me but I, I wasn't I wasn't loving the game still at that point um, and that kind of bleeds us into uh, I guess COVID and I think COVID changed everyone in, in yeah. certain ways I think some people had a really really tough time with it the majority of people had a really really tough times other people took advantages of it other people went in different directions some people worked from home for some reason Tiger Leader you did not think to work from home you did something totally different during COVID. Yeah. Um, that leads me to a conversation I had over probably one of the best mass mam curries I've ever had. I was sitting down and um, uh, we had discussed through a mutual friend about a possible phone call yeah. conversation. And I just ordered some food and I got a call from Tig Leader. And it's the first time I talked to you. Yeah. And I'm like, what's the crack with this American football thing? Because now I didn't have a notion. Did you have a notion at the time? Uh, you guided me so you could you could put me in the right direction in fairness to you. At the time at still the, are? at the time I had at the time I had an idea. I kinda went I'd been down uh, a certain route at that point. I'd gone to a bunch of open tryouts at CFL teams. I'd kind of tried a bunch of things. Um I had kind of pushed myself in certain ways. Um I knew who knew what. I knew which coaches were the best. Um I knew a certain avenue to kind of squeeze yourself into these good windows, one of them be, kind of being coach honors combine. Um, which I think I told you on the phone at the time. Yeah. So little did I know that conversation would lead to you and I both going out to San Diego again to see uh, the legend himself, John Kearney. Yeah, that was class. Um, these were random a few times, but that was that was just one of those moments where I remember doing a few kicking sessions in Boston where there was a, a coach, good coach there, Brendan Cattle, sound man, who's still a good friend to this day. And he just said, hey, you have a good, you have a good kick. You maybe explore this. That led to that phone call. And yeah, I remember just kind of going up to John for a trial and I just remember like not having, not having a clue what was going on, but saying, let's just throw myself in and see what the crack is with this. Yeah, you said you were going to stay out there for two weeks. You stayed out there for four months. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think, uh, so the the pathway went down to, I think I was suggesting to you was, you know, take a look at this guy to have a look at you, John Kearney, fifth highest point scorer of all time, 23 years in the NFL, bit of a legend. I think I said, you know, if he thinks you're somewhere halfway decent, then you can go down these other routes and you can go to these open tryouts. One of them obviously being the big one at Zahner's Combine. So, um, and obviously as well, when you're in San Diego, you get to kick and compete against some of the best guys there. So you kind of know where you are in terms of in terms of how good you are. So how did you kind of find that experience? Because I know you tried to change techniques a couple of times under some good advice, under some bad advice, and then 
you know yeah the experience overall was just I said give this a crack if it works I'm jumping into it 28 at the time if it doesn't I have a job back in Boston I'll probably do another season or two and and then just move on with life um, and and be a coach though I, at that point I was going to be a coach rugby coach I always knew that I was still coaching so that was kind of my alternative um, but kicked kicked for those couple of weeks sat John down said what's the like you know am I any good I'm wasting my time what's your feedback and John I said basically like I've seen you kick multiple NFL kind of quality kicks this week with almost with very little experience or exposure like that's exciting if I was you I'd be excited about giving this a go and and I was like alright Jesus I guess I'm I guess I'm in so I had to call my team in Boston who I just signed you know two year deal with the year prior um, and said lads I'm not coming back I'm going to kick American footballs and during COVID too where teams were kind of not sure where they were going to be so maybe a little bit easier to have that phone call during that period as well um, yeah. and then I think you the, so the opportunities that popped up for you after that was the spring league which was basically yeah. an unpaid league yeah. that had popped up in the US but it was technically professional football because they paid for flights expenses etc you got a kick out of the cold stadium um, and you also played football in Europe after that but in terms of like you learning your networking skills like just give us an idea of how hard that is because I say oh I, you decided to go play in spring football everyone tried to go play in that spring football league so how did you leverage that? Oh man I, I had to get very comfortable with rejection and being told either being ignored or being told no over this next period of my life um, because yeah like playing in that league for example I had to tell that because obviously I you know, no game tape, but just me and shorts and t-shirts in San Diego, swing of the leg. It's not, you know, it's something, but it's not, everyone else has a college career or a pro career that they're leaning on. So to get in that league, man, I have to try and get creative. I have to tell them that, uh, you know, if you bring me in, you're going to get a lot more Irish viewers. You know, it's going to grow grow your grow your league in different parts of the world. The American Irish, American Irish community, the rugby community are all going to get behind it. Like, you know, if you should really kind of get me on board. So it's like being an agent pitching myself. Mm-hmm. And I, who, I mean, besides my mum and dad, who's staying up to watch a spring league at two or three in the morning in Ireland? Um, but they said, "All right." So that's how I that's how I got in that first league. I did leverage Anthony and Everton because if I didn't, this dead in the water. Yeah, and you There's found no other opportunity, and you found yourself in there. I think it was a, a, quite a positive experience because yeah. now all of a sudden you had game tape, you had pro game tape, yeah. which is kind of like it's like your little golden ticket sometimes. And yeah. even like established free agents that we know very very well that don't have game tape from like two years ago, they're crying out for any type of opportunity to get it. So what does Tiger Leader do with this newfound game tape? He goes and he plays. Moves to Poland. In fact, his value moves to Poland. Yeah, that was. Uh, the, that experience was good second game I got to be one of the three captains which is gas because I didn't even know what the hell that meant and like walking out for handshakes and flicking coins and I just like um, I, wasn't, I wasn't a huge fan of American football by the way so I love kicking but not I didn't know much about American football uh, so I just remember like, going through all this was a bit mad and then um, unfortunately got other ankle got a bad injury there so I spent the next three games kicking on my right foot and I couldn't really plant it was very awkward this was footage out there um, but I did enough to to not get cut, which is a lot of time just keep me out of water. And then I was like, what's next? I was hoping to get to the CFL, um, talking to some teams there. And they're like, yeah, you'd look good. Be like, we'd like more exposure. So then the European Football League had just started. Um, I looked at, didn't think I was going to do it. And then literally a team from Poland called me and said, hey, you know, we're going we're to make a push for the playoffs. We need a high level kicker trying to give it a crack. And 
negotiated a peanuts contract for a couple of days and uh, off I went and turned out to be a class experience. I and what that. city was that in? Uh, Wrocław in Poland. Most of the games in Germany. Yeah. It was on the border, so usually in Germany for most of the games. Germans love it. Or the first game turning up and I'm hearing people shout, leader, leader, maybe not big, maybe three, four thousand. And they're shouting, leader, leader. And I was like, Jesus, who's like, you know, someone, someone knows me here. Three, four days is a lot more than the spring league though. Oh, the spring league was COVID. It was, yeah. not, it was, in, it was in an empty That's what I mean. stadium. Empty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember then turning, like, oh, who knows? Like, who's, who's here? And then turning around and some German fella just kind of like telling me I'm shy and giving me the little finger. And then I was like, ah, yeah, sure. My name's on the back of the jersey. <laughs> Because in the spring league, obviously there's no one to call you because no one understands. I remember being, ah, oh, yeah, okay. So I learned to, you get used to, I got used to that, but that was, I remember, a funny one. So you got grounded quickly. pretty quickly. Quickly, yeah. In German. Yeah, oh, they're in English, in fairness. In English. I, I, okay, I, okay. I, I understood the hand gesture as well. Respect. Okay, good. All right, good Good for them. All right, so you're playing there. Now that experience thing was actually kind of very fulfilling in the end because yeah. you had, you got so much pro footage. Um, you punted and you kicked. Yeah. Um, and so kind of coming out of that, that season ended, I believe in September of, or October, 2021. September, yeah. Ish. Yeah. Um, and so where, so where do you go then? You're like, okay, actually pretty handy at this. Ankles, not that handy, but we can deal with that. Right. Um, so then what's, where's the, where's the final push then for Tiger Leader? Um, thankfully, some of the CFL teams are showing interest in that league. I managed to put together good tape, got some 50 yarders, banging from deep field goals, deep punts or big punts. And uh, then I moved to Spain to train with Mr. Lee Mur- Mur Media. I went out there for a couple of months just training, kicking in random Spanish pitches in these little, uh, the islands um, down there, the Canaries. A uh, little warm weather training camp. What I didn't foresee is that it's very windy. So <laughs> that wasn't the smartest move in the world. But it was a good crack. Got fitter, got stronger. Um, and then the Tiger Cats called me, Hamilton, to give me a bit of an update as to what they're thinking about me. So I had an old pad out to see kind of what, what they're looking at, where I stand. Hamilton Tiger Cats are like a very well-established yeah. team with longevity of success in the Canadian Football League, in the CFL. Yeah. Yeah. Professional league, one of the longest standing professional football leagues in the world, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That was a huge opportunity. And... And one was going to get kind of see where I am with the deck chart. And I was talking to one of the teams, and then the the GM just said, "Hey, we're like we're going to sign you." And I was not expecting that. So then I was just kind of like, "Oh wow, like this is this is happening." Um, was over the was just thrilled, a little bit surprised, and um, but also I was kind of like, "Well, actually, you know what? Like I've learned, I've struggled, I've adapted. I bloody went to Poland, like, <laughs> like give me like I feel like I'm I just ready and deserving of this next opportunity." Okay, so um, I remember you calling me and you're on your way over and you're like, uh, yeah, I'm not 100% sure if I've anywhere to stay. So if I am stuck, is there any chance, you know, I can stay out there? Because I'm only there for a week and then I'm down to Hamilton for training camp. And uh, I remember it kind of being a surreal moment because you and I were training for that week and you're prepping yourself for this massive opportunity. So uh, you did go to Hamilton. I think you had a great success. Um, So how did that go kind of in the end? In the end, pro football sat down and told, hey, you need more experience. We're going to go ahead and release you today. Yeah. And so, that's on top of hitting a game winner from yeah. 36 yards out, which is your only field goal opportunity. So you're one from one from there. Yeah. I think you went 91% in Three. Uh, 93, 93% in training camp. camp. So the highest percentage out of four kickers that were there. Um, and then they come back to you and they say, oh, you just need a bit more exposure, <laughs> which they had access to you. And so then at that point, I think it opens up to what you kind of came to with leader kicking is like, you know, this is a really hard place to get into. This is really, really difficult. 
But what I'm really good at and what I love is coaching. Is that kind of what you? That's when that, that's when leader kicking. It was already in the pla- it was already planted in my head. But at that point, I was like, I can hand on heart, hundred on anything more. To, in terms of pursuing the 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 CFL route, the NFL route, I went in, I performed, I was just comfortable. I was like, I didn't, I left no stone unturned. And I no regrets. No regrets. Genuinely, no regrets. So I was like, if this is, if I'm just going to keep banging my head against this wall of no exposure, no experience, blah blah blah, so be it. Um, time to go home and create a pathway for lads to get it. And I think the one thing that you and I have kind of both said several times, like this is not a, it's obviously not an easy pursuit. Yeah. It's a difficult pursuit. It's not a cheap pursuit either. <laughs> so what's one of the things you kind of set up with leader kicking in mind that may be able to like help kind of alleviate some of those issues? I think one of them is kind of getting, you know, uh, you're getting people into the right pathway. So like getting a college guy in this way or getting these pro elite GA athletes through the IPP. So you're putting them through legit, things so they're not you're not performing really well in front of someone and then they're saying something like oh well you just need more exposure but then also like what have you done to kind of alleviate some of the some of the pressures of like the payment and the access and the travel for some of these athletes yeah, that was huge man the, the cost element of doing that was 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 a lot yeah it was a lot so I remember thinking like Irish people aren't necessarily used of paying a whole lot for sports or GEA is free or pretty cheap you join your club for 100 quid I assume same in rugby um, I mean, one tryout would cost you six hundred dollars. Yeah, instantly, yeah, and you'd get to kick out seven balls. Yeah, or else you do a session with the coach for like twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, as we know. Yeah, um, and coach is twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, so I was like, well, look for four hours of yeah, four hours dying balls in Arizona. Um, and so then I was like, I always knew that Irish people aren't going to do that, and there's other programs around the world that you know, and fair enough, they do a good job, but there's obviously a high level of cost. But they do, they can get the reward in the back end of it 100%. But I didn't just thinking in the Irish market, I thought, you know what, would it not be much, much better if I could create a program where the financial barriers are removed? So like there's so many good kids that, that deserve an opportunity that maybe can't get them because there is financial barriers, different social economic barriers in the way. So my thing was like, well, if I can remove them up front and just create genuine opportunity for lads, like how class would that be? How impactful would that be? So that was planned. That was the idea. And then that's why you're sitting with Delta on your chest. And, you know, Elvery's have been unbelievable. Irish American partnership. There's going to be a lot more coming in the next couple of weeks and months. So thanks to support from all these people, it meant now that, you know, anyone's welcome to give this a crack. So I'm really proud of that, to be honest with you. That's one of the proudest things I'd say that out of what we've done to date, the accessibility for all. I love that. And I'm sure a lot of the athletes that, you know, we've had here and on Entity Arena and everything else and the ones that were going to happen in the future and the ones that are going to be leader kicking kind of thank you for that as well, like, you know, tenfold. Um, but it's an amazing story from Connemara to Connacht to, you know, a weird farm serving dry leaves in Italy to San Diego to Boston to St. Louis to Hamilton just outside Toronto to Poland, to Germany, back again. A bit of Spain in between there at some point. Spain at some point. Back, and now you're in Galway, now you're at the hub, and now you're the leader kicking. And we're about to find out how these, you know, three or four um, Irish stars perform in the NFL Combine for the first time. Like, how excited are you just as the leader and owner of leader kicking? And I guess, like, more so like, like, like how, how are you feeling about it? Like, but how, how proud are you of what you've actually done? Uh, yeah. Is there a sense of pride yet? I know you haven't had a whole time to reflect, but like, come on, 
um, sometimes, but as I said, not really. My, my girlfriend goes out to me. She's like, you need to really just like stop and press press, press pause every once in a while. Um, yeah, there is there is there is pride, but there's like pure awareness of how bloody big this can be and how impactful this can be and how it needs to keep going. Um, so that's probably more so the emotion than than anything, like to keep keep the bloody foot in the pedal. Um, so that's what we're trying to do. So, uh, yeah, I know it's been it's been cool, it's been cool, but there's like honestly, there's so there's so much more to go with this. It's so much bigger to get, so many more lives to impact, and like that's like that's what makes me more excited, without a doubt, than kind of what's gone. Proud of the lads as well as well though, to see what they've done, um, and how good they've done, and how they've adapted, and how they've helped you know build this along. So, yeah, I am proud of it, but also more so just looking with a sense of excitement to the future and see what the lads can do. Speaking of last question. In five years' time, how many Irish players are playing in the NFL? Oh, five years' time in the NFL? Let's be honest. Yeah, you know, the world, world's biggest sporting league, only 32 teams. Not for long is what it stands for. And for NFL, not for long, exactly. If we had, oh man, if we had like four, two to four, I mean, you already have Dan Whedon and they're doing a good job. You have likes James McCourt. He's been knocking around. He's a talented lad. Um, and you have these four Irish guys going through the pathway. Two of them made it to the world's biggest league. Now. And that's just Phenomenal. this year. I'm talking about in five years. Uh, if that's okay, we'll go for six then. <laughs> um, no, I think like if basically in the actively in the NFL, if there's four Irish guys in a roster, like that would be phenomenal. There's only 32 jobs, but it's like competitive, like hyper competitive. But I think more so the impact's going to be in the college game, like lads getting to go to college and experience that at all the levels. That is where I see us making real, real big impact and like real life changing impact. The NFL is class and it's going to be huge, but that's a pro game, that's a pro league. Um, and it's great. I'm looking forward to it. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to diminish that at all. But I think the college game is where it makes gets me buzzing to think like, you know, just two or three days ago, a young fella from Dublin that didn't have much academic prospects, wasn't going to go to college because he got his leaving or was great. He just signed for um, a Juco college like two or three nights ago. That was really exciting. And like, that's where I hope, you know, that just keeps moving and keeps, keeps struggling along. And that's your daily life. And, you know, those sort of things happen all the time to you now. And on that note, Thank you so much for coming on uh, Enter the Arena. I know I was kind of jabbing you to get on because I thought your story was the one that kind of tied together everything. It's kind of the connective tissue of the body, you know, that kind of gave you a full look at everything. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you listeners for, for tuning in and everything. Please give five stars. Please comment. Please share with your friends. Um, obviously, any kickers and punters going on, visit Tig Leader on social media, Leader Kicking. Visit their website. And I can't wait to have more guests on Enter the Arena, a leader kicking podcast. See you next time.